The following message was recorded Sunday, February 11, 2024. Pastor Ritt continues his series in the book of Acts and covers chapter 9 verses 36 through 43. The Apostle Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. Good morning. We're in Acts chapter 9. Okay. And Peter is going to uh, perform his last recorded miracle in the book of Acts. In the first 12 chapters of Acts, if you divided it by personalities, the first 12 chapters really deal with Peter. He's the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. And then from 13 on, it really deals with the Apostle Paul, who's the apostle to the Gentiles, opening up the Gentile world to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked at great length about his conversion, that it's, you cannot overstate the significance of this one man being transformed, being saved, being redeemed, and the impact he's had on the world, the impact he's had on our lives, the impact he's had on my life personally as I read his epistles. But nonetheless, we're here talking about Peter, and Peter has already performed a series of miracles in the scriptures, and in particularly in the book of Acts. What, what was the first one he performed? At the gate called Beautiful, right? The Corinthian gate there, and he healed that man who had been lame for... How long? 40 years. Now, who healed him? Was Peter the healer? No. no. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. Now, what else happened? What other miracles did Peter perform? Hmm. I'm sorry? We're not there yet. That's chapter 9. <laughs> That's what we're going to cover this morning. Okay, so what it did say after that was the apostles of Jesus Christ performed many signs and wonders. That would have included Peter, but none of them are specifically recorded for us. But in chapter 5, we have a miracle that Peter performed under the power of the Holy Spirit. Who, what miracle was that? I'm sorry? You, you thought his sermon was a miracle? I, I'm sure he did too. <laughs> he said, I, I'm not. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. That was a miracle. Instantly died. Why did they die? Did they lie to Peter? No, they lied to the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. And so we see that Peter has performed a series of miracles. And last week we looked at a miracle that, that Peter had, had performed under the power of the Holy Spirit of a man named Aeneas. Aeneas. The man's name was Aeneas, and he had been uh, paralyzed for how long? Eight years. And eight is a number of? Wow. Jesus was going to walk into Aeneas's life, and there was going to be a new beginning for this man. And Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus is healing you. He didn't say Jesus heals you. Jesus has healed you. Jesus is going to heal. Jesus is healing you, Aeneas. Is that true of you? Did he walk into your life and give you a new beginning? Is Jesus not continuing to heal you? I, I know he's healing me. I'm telling you, hurry up, Lord, get it over with so I can come home. You know, <laughs> finish your work, the work that you've started, right? But we're all a work in process and progress, but Jesus is healing all who have come to him. He's given us a new beginning, a new start, right? Just as the resurrection of Christ was a, a new beginning for the world. And now as we come to faith in Christ, it's a new beginning. So Aeneas was healed, and it caused many to turn to the Lord as a result of that. As we go further into chapter 9, we're going to see that uh, Peter is called for at Joppa. Follow along with me as I read verses 36 through 43, if you don't mind. You ready? 
chapter 9, beginning in verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, she presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa. And many believed on the Lord so that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Mm, Lord, give us insight into this portion of your word as we walk through this little meadow. I know you have many gleanings for us, Lord, so show us what you have for us. Now, this is one of many resurrections that are recorded in the Bible. And, and why do you think God would record so many resurrections in the Bible? Why? Hope. Hope. Well, what's Christian hope? It's an assurance. It's not a maybe. It's not a wish. Christian hope is an absolute assurance and a future expectation, right? Now, all of these resurrections are recorded so that you would have absolute certainty that one day Jesus has promised he who would come to me shall have everlasting life. We don't believe in annihilation, do we? That you cease to exist? And that has been overwhelmingly proven how today in our modern age. All those near-death experiences that are recorded for us that you can read about, that you can you, uh, YouTube videos of testimonies of people who had near-death experiences that came back. So we don't believe in annihilation. We don't believe in what the people across the street believe in. What's that? Reincarnation. There's, there's no evidence for reincarnation whatsoever in these near-death experiences. Nobody gets reincarnated, come back as a butterfly, right? <laughs> but we believe in resurrection. How many resurrections were there in the Old Testament? How many? Three. What were they? Jairus no, Jairus, that's the New Testament. Oh. Old Testament. Three resurrections in the Old Testament. You're right about that. The first one was by the Tishbite. What's his name? Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, right? When Elijah, the prophet, came down the road, everybody was concerned, right? Yeah. <laughs> he was a man's man nonetheless. But who did he raise from the dead? The widow's son. The widow's son. And then Elisha, Elisha said, Lord, give me a double mantle, man, a double portion of the mantle or the power of Elijah. And Elisha, the first resurrection he performed was for whom? The Shunammite woman. It is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. Whew, powerful, powerful. And then Elisha died and they buried him. How is it that he raised, resurrected somebody else? Yeah, that's right, Ed. They, they were about to bury a man who had died, a nameless man. We don't know his name, but they were going to bury this man, and suddenly they were being raided 
by one of the hill peoples. And so they took the man and his body, and they threw him upon the tomb of Elijah. And he jumped up alive. <laughs> Proof that Elijah was not dead. He was yeah, the power of the Holy Spirit resurrected him, right? Those are the three resurrections in the Old Testament. Give me some New Testament resurrections that took place. Who? Jairus' daughter. daughter. Yeah, who did that? Jesus. Jesus. What was her name? We don't know her name. But he called her little girl. And the Aramaic? Yeah, Talitha. Oh, Tabitha? Talitha. Tabitha, Talitha. Talitha, Tabitha. What's the difference? One letter. T-A-L or T-A-B? Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Chapter 5, Mark's Gospel. Talitha Kume. Arise, little girl. What else? Lazarus. What else? The widow from Nain, her son. Been dead several days, and Jesus raised him from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary said, no, 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 Lord, don't remove the stone. He's been dead several days. He... And Jesus cried out with a loud voice. What did he say? Lazarus, Lazarus arise. Now, why did he have to say that? Because all everybody would have rose from the dead. He's not ready to do that yet, right? <laughs> yeah. He had to be specific about it. Lazarus, Lazarus, arise. Who else was resurrected in the New Testament? Who? Yeah. Eutychus. Who rose him from the dead? on the power of the Holy Spirit, but who is the agents? See, they got Paul. Paul. Before that? Who? The officer's servant was healed from a sickness. He wasn't dead, but he was healed. Jesus himself. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, what happened in Jerusalem? Many. We don't know how many, but many people rose from the dead, the graves, and they're walking around Jerusalem, and there were many witnesses that saw all these. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this morning if we saw our loved ones walk in here? Wow. Amazing. Who else? We're going to look at Tabitha, Eutychus, we talked about. Who gets raised from the dead in Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? All those who have predeceased us who believe in Jesus at the rapture, right? At the rapture of the church, do we precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ? No. No, they'll be raised first, and then we will caught up and meet them in the air, right? Hmm. Who else is going to get raised from the dead? Revelation chapter 11. Yes, the two witnesses. How about Revelation chapter 20, 4 and 5? Who gets raised from the dead there? Old Testament saints and the martyrs and the wicked, right? Now, we go before what seat? The Bema seat. The Bema seat. The judgment seat called the Bema seat, which is a judge's seat in an athletic competition. Nobody gets punished. You just get rewarded for having done well. Run the race the way you should. What, who go, when, where do the wicked go before? The great way. And when is that? At the end of the millennial reign, all the wicked go before the great white throne judgment, and that's an eternal death that they will experience. There's some honorable mentions we ought to mention. Tom Manzi, are you here? You, you know this one, Tom. That's why I called on you, because I know you know it. Who else was risen from the dead in the Old Testament? Are you Tom? <laughs> Jonah, because he, he asked me that question when you first came, right? 
several weeks ago. Do you believe Jonah died and was written? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So Jonah's honorable mention. Uh, how about uh, how about the Apostle Paul? Was he raised from the dead? Yeah, when he was stoned outside of Lystra, remember? Now, they know how to stone people, and they know when someone's dead. And they stoned him, believing he was dead, knowing he was dead, and they walked away. And the rest of the disciples gathered around and prayed and wept and cried, and God raised him from the dead. Hmm. Any others? Chapter 13 of the Revelation. There seems to be, we don't know if it's a true resurrection or a false resurrection, a fake resurrection, but who is that? Antichrist. Antichrist receives a, a head wound, which would, have, which would kill anyone, right? But it appears that he raises from the dead. Now, we don't know if it's a false or a fake resurrection or not, but those are the resurrections that are recorded for us in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. They're there to give us an absolute assurance. I will never die, and neither will you. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know you're as dead now, right now, you're as dead right now as you will ever, ever, ever be. What do I mean by that? You're dying, okay. Hmm? Whoa, boy, I can't, you know, I can't, you know, every day I wake up with POD. What's POD? Pain of the day. I got a pain somewhere different in my body every single day, you know, at my age. But, you know, I, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I am in the health that I'm in at my age. But I'm very thankful, but I can't wait to shed this tent and put on that glorious mansion, the new body, right? made for the heavens, a celestial body. Instead of this terrestrial body, I recognize that my body is failing. I don't care how hard you work out. What happened to Apollo Creed? <laughs> Who would think such a specimen could die at such a young age, right? <laughs> he, he was 76. You know who Apollo Creed was, right? And he just died recently. How did he die? What, what did he die of? Do you know? Heart attack. He had a heart condition. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a 21 year old boy last Wednesday who died where? Furman. Furman University. At football practice. He was an athlete, a star athlete. Wow. So you never know, right? 100% of us eventually are leaving these bodies, leaving this planet and coming back, right? If you're in the Lord. But we can be certain of two things in life. What are they? Death, Death and taxes. <laughs> Death and taxes. They'll squeeze everything they can out of you. Oh, but Jesus has promised us a life that we can't even wrap our mind around. And you've got to try to imagine. If you read Revelation 20, 21, uh, John is giving us a description of heaven as best he can. But even that, it, does, it doesn't do it justice. It doesn't scratch the surface. When Paul died at Lystra, he was caught up to the third heaven for a time. He records that. He doesn't say it's him, but it was him. And he said, I, uh, saw, I saw things that would be criminal for me to try to do what? To describe to you. I, I can't even describe to you how one words do not do it justice, how wonderful heaven is going to be. And you know the most wonderful thing about heaven? Jesus, number one. All right, number two? No sin. No sin. Do you know what a new you you're going to be? Free from all sin, free from temptation, free from any evil thoughts, wicked thoughts, jealous thoughts, lustful thoughts, free completely being absolutely pure in mind, in consciousness, in being. Wow. You know, you, you, I, I think about it now. And, and I say to myself, when I get there, I'm going to say, 
This, this is too clear. This is too pure. I don't belong here. Have you ever been somewhere? I asked the guys yesterday. Have you ever been somewhere you just felt so out of place because you just didn't fit? Maybe it was a bunch of people that were more snobbish and, and very wealthy and thought that they were somebody when they're a nobody, right? And, and, you, and you feel so out of place. Like, I, I don't belong here. Is that everyone? <laughs> no, Frank. <laughs> everybody belongs here because Jesus is here and he welcomes everybody, right? But when we get to heaven, it's so pure, it's so wonderful. When I imagine it now, I think, I get there, I'm going to spoil it. What are you laughing about? So are you. <laughs> but here we have recorded for us that there was a, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Joppa was just about 12 miles, 10 to 12 miles from where Peter was. Where was Peter now? Lydda. He was in Lydda. Now, if you had to travel from Lydda to Joppa, you'd have to go about 17 miles because it wasn't as a crow flies. Okay? You had made a couple of crooked, jagged turns. So about 17-mile trek. And they're going to send some disciples from Joppa to Lydda to get Peter. But there was a certain disciple. What's the word disciple here? What is it? The word disciple is what? Mathetria. That's right. That's exactly right. Mathetria. Yep. And what does Mathetria mean? It's only used here. This is the only place in the Bible it's used. This, the only place in the Bible. Mathetria. This certain disciple. A female learned one. Learned one. A female who studies the scriptures. What scriptures would she study? The Old Testament, of course. Of course. Wow, I wonder what Old Testament book would have had such a powerful impact on this woman's life that she was so giving of herself. You know, you give her a bolt. What's a bolt? It's cloth, right? You know what that is, right? You know what a bolt is. A bolt is a, is a, a bolt. A bolt is a bolt. It's a big bolt of cloth. A bundle of cloth. You give her a bolt, you give her a needle, you give her some thread, and oh boy, she goes to town. And she makes such wonderful garments for herself to show off, doesn't she? Is that what she does? No, nay, on the contrary. On the contrary, she uses all her giftedness, and she was a gifted seamstress. There was a, uh, uh, somebody from Switzerland, a famous, no, 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 or, uh, forget it, I can't think of it, I can't think of it, it's a, it's a seamstress. Anyway, Ursula, Ursula of Switzerland, anybody ever hear of it? Ursula, Switzerland? No. She made wonderful clothes. And my mom was a very gifted seamstress. And she would imitate, uh, duplicate the clothes that she would make. She could do that. And she would always do that for other people. She'd never do it for herself. My mom always said, oh, I'm too fat. I won't look good in it, you know. Oh, mom, you look good in anything, you know. But what, what text do you think would impact Tabitha, Dorcas, more than any other, as she is a learned one of the Old Testament? in her ability to use the gift that God's given her in needle and thread. Why do I do this? You're so smart. Go there. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. And we see that this woman is a Proverbs 31 woman, this disciple, this learned one. Your understanding of Jesus should always, 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 always bring you to the place where you want to sacrifice your talents to him for the use of him, to, for the edification of his body. Now, 
I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but you listen to me. I'm not going to give you the message I said I was going to give you last week. My board told me, don't do that. <laughs> Wisdom and a multitude of counselors. I said, we don't need a controlled burn. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that anyway. I was just going to rebuke you. With an What's an admonishment? What kind of a warning? Loving. It's a loving, gentle warning. That's an admonishment. Do you admonish your children? My wife admonishes me all the time. You know? Stop smearing the peanut butter all over the table. Put it on the bread. You know? Your gifts and your talents. The uh, idiosyncrasies of your personality. You know? The, the temperament, the gifts, the skills that God has given you. Why is he giving you those? To give them away for his glory and for the sake of his body. Now, I'm just saying, I think there's more than a few of you, probably far too many, who aren't exercising their gifts and talents for his body. Oh, every, oh, look, we all work for the benefit of our family, don't we? For those who love us, we love them. <laughs> Even the tax collectors do that, Jesus said. Even the Pharisees do that. They'll love those who love them. Oh, but it's when we extend ourselves and love those people who don't love us or those people who we really don't know, but we extend ourselves to Christ's body. When, when do we see you naked and clothe you? Sick and visited you? Hungry, fed you? When? When do we do any of these things, Jesus? If you've done it unto the... You've done it unto... Tabitha, she understood this. She, she gave... You know, I gotta, I gotta, I'm not... Don't get a swelled head. But when I read this, all I think of is you, Deborah. How many times you have taken the talents God has given you, particularly with needle and thread, and you have blessed so many people in and outside of this body. Tabitha. Where did I say to go? That's right. Proverbs 31. Go there. This is a, a woman that should be imitated by every woman. And men, what are the example that we're to imitate? Every woman should imitate this Proverbs 31 woman. Every man should imitate Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. Jesus. That's right. <laughs> so you got it easy, ladies. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's start in verse 19. She stretched out her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She's making cloth. She extends her hand to the poor and the needy. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed with scarlet. They all have these beautiful winter scarves and mittens and everything else that keep them warm in the winter night. She makes tapestry for herself, verse 22. Her clothing is a fine linen and purple, verse 23. Her husband is known at the gates when he is sitting among the the elders of the land. You know, nobody knows my name in my neighborhood, but they all know that I'm Snickers' daddy and I'm married to Gail. Oh, aren't you Gail's husband? Snickers' owner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't know who I am. Hmm, interesting. This, this woman, her husband was known as being, oh, you're the prophet's 31 woman's husband, aren't you? Tabitha married? Was Tabitha married? Was Tabitha married? We don't know. We don't know. But who was she helping? Who was she? Who was most in need at that time in that culture? Why? Yeah, there was no social security, no welfare, no one to care for them. If they didn't have male children, female and male children to take care of them in their old age, they were destitute. And so she purposed. True and undefiled religion is what? According to James? 
visiting orphans and widows in their time of need. Right? Look what it says. Yes, her husband is known in the gates. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, isn't it? If, if it's not the inward beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So what is she going to be praised for? The works of her own hands. And what are the works of her own hands at this time? Well, let's read the text. Back to chapter 9. At Joppa, there was a certain learned woman, but because she was so learned, she became a servant. Now, if you understand the scriptures and you understand all that God has done for you, then in response, all that you need to do for him, and how do I serve Jesus? How do I minister to Jesus? How do I show my love for Jesus? By loving the body. By loving and caring for his body. Not my own. <laughs> but caring for his body. Now, I, I, I hope the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you because what, what we talk about Teshuvah, we talk about Wednesday, that, that we all know that we need to make some adjustments, some turning to the Lord. And, and maybe you have some gifts and talents that God has given you. you. You didn't have, you didn't create those. God gave you those to be used for his glory and the benefit of his body. And, and maybe you've just been selfishly using those gifts for yourself which she did with needle and thread. Aiden, you do with a couple of wooden sticks, don't you? Huh? And I, I, I don't know about you, but I really appreciate your addition to the worship team. You know, I used to bang on Charlie Chips cans. You don't even know what they are, do they? Do you? Yeah, yeah when I was a kid. <laughs> but so many of you use your, your talents and your gifts, but so many of you are not. Now, not that you're going to be condemned for that. You're just not going to get rewarded for it. The good works that we do. Look at the text. Yes, a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, which means gazelle, whether in the Aramaic or the Greek text, okay, it means gazelle. What's a gazelle? A what? It's not a bird. It's like a deer, right? It's a mammal. It's a gracious, beautiful, gorgeous animal, gazelle. Maybe that has something to do with her nature. Hmm? And this woman was full of good works that she desired to do. Did the good works save her? No, but because she was saved, she was full of? Ah, that's how you can tell. Someone's really, Jesus has really got a hold of somebody's heart and life. Because they can't help but be and, be and do good for others, right? Look what it says. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and she died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there. So they sent two men to him. Stop there for a minute. 
What does it mean that, uh, well, first of all, what do you know about Joppa? Jewish or Gentile town? Gentile. It was a Gentile town. What, what kind of a town was it? It was right on the ocean. It was, a, it was a most. It was the only natural harbor in that part of Palestine or that part of Israel. Um, later on, Herod had made Caesarea a major harbor, but that wasn't a natural harbor. Joppa was known for it. Joppa had been known for slaughtering a number of Jews in their town. Joppa was a Gentile town. So, what would it indicate for us that they washed her? What didn't they do? They didn't anoint her. See, now, if, if this was a Jewish community and these were Jews, they would have anointed her. Why would they have anointed her? And how soon do you have to bury someone after they die? Same day, within 24 hours. Jews do that to this day. You, you, you have no idea how sacred they consider the body. The Jews are willing to negotiate and, and make great sacrifice just to recover the dead bodies of the hostages. When the Jews left Gaza in 2005, not only did all of the residents leave Gaza and their homes, what else did the Jews do? They dug up all the graves and brought them back to Israel with them. Great importance. Oh, so they washed this body. So it appears they weren't preparing her for burial because if they anointed her, then she would be prepared for burial. Now, we don't know if somehow they received some epinosis from the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit revealed to them that God was going to do something extraordinary because there were several resurrections that had already previously taken place. Not by Peter. But if he could heal Aeneas by the power of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, then certainly Jesus could raise Tabitha from the dead. So they sent for Peter, 17 miles. How long would it take you to get there? A good day, right? So it's going to take you a day to get there, and then if you convince Peter to go with you, it's going to take him a day to get back. So Tabitha's going to be dead at least three days. Wow. <laughs> Then Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Now, whenever Peter performs anything that is miraculous, beyond natural, supernatural, who does he give credit to? Jesus. Right? Jesus is the healer. We're not. In spite of all these uh, miracle crusades and all of these miracle healers that claim to be healed, no, Jesus is the healer. What is this word imploring him? What is it? What does it mean? Para kaleto, right? Para call kaleto, call kaletos para alongside, para alongside. Who is the parakaletos? And what is that interpreted? What English word parakaletos is? Comforter, comforter. Hmm. Now the text is indicating for us who's going to be doing the healing. It's not Peter. It's not Peter. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the parakaletos the true comforter, right, has been moving in the hearts of the disciples there at Joppa and in Peter's heart now to let them be aware of the fact that God is going to do something miraculous. What do we call that in the sign gifts? It could be a logosophia. What is that? Word of wisdom. Logosnosis, word of knowledge. But somehow they intuitively knew, and I believe it was by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was going to perform a miracle. So they sent to Peter, and what does Peter do? 
imploring him to not delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose, and he went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all of the widows stood by with a fashion show, right? All of the garments that she made. What did they stood by doing? What were they doing? Weeping and crying. My, my, my first wife, Roberta, she learned to sew from my mother, and she used to make me sports coats that I would wear at work because I had to wear a coat and a tie when I worked for General Electric at that time. That's what they required. But, but she was such a good seamstress, she would make sports coats for me, line sports coats, you know. Yeah. And uh, I was very proud of the fact that my wife made this, manufactured this for me. They'd say, where did you get all this? I like that. My wife made that. No, she did not. Yes, she did. And that's what Dorcas made for me. See what Dorcas made? I don't know, but who's going to make our clothes now? Is that what they were crying about? What are they crying about? Yeah. Now you listen to me. When I die, you hire professional whalers, <laughs> mourners, okay? If nobody else is going to cry, you pay somebody to cry for me, okay? I'll cry next You'll cry next <laughs> No, I die, you have a party, okay? No. <laughs> what a what? <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing, and it's only happened to me a couple of times in my 30-plus years of ministry that I've had to do a funeral, and it was just a handful of people, and no one was sorrowful. No one was weeping. That made me weep. You know, you, you would hope you lived a life well enough that you've done so much good that someone would miss you, that they would cry, that there would be a void in their life because of your absence. Mm. Do you have to ask yourself that question? Yeah, we, 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 we celebrate the passing of a believer because there you send. But temporarily, in the temporal, it's very grievous. Sharing with someone the other day a story about my, my first wife, Roberta. She died 17 years. She ascended 17 years ago. But as I was sharing the story, grief just hit me again. And I just, I just started crying, weeping. If I think about it in the temporal, it hurts. Her absence hurts now. Gus's absence hurts, doesn't it? That song we just sang, it was the first time he rose his hands in church, right? <laughs> yeah, but if we think about the eternal, oh, hallelujah. You know, all these people we talked about in the Bible that have resurrected, multitude of people. How do you think they felt that moment that they came back here? do what? You're sending me back? No, Jesus. No, no. Don't raise me from the dead. No, Jesus. <laughs> what, how audacious it was for the Sadducees to threaten Lazarus with his life after he came back from the dead. What did he say? Bring it on. Come on. Bring it on. <laughs> oh, death is our friend. It's not our foe. But we do grieve in the temporal, don't we? And these women, they wept for her, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter, Peter put them all out. Now, why would he do that? 
I mean, I, you know, listen. If, if, I, if I died and all of you are weeping and wailing in celebration, <laughs> there's good tears too, you know. No, but why, why, why would Peter put them out? Why do you think Peter put them out? I'm sorry? Humility, okay. Well, I, I think you, you got something there, Andrew, because I think he didn't want to take credit for what God was about to do, and he certainly didn't want it to be a spectacle. But I think more than that, what? He didn't need their unbelief. He what? He didn't need their unbelief. He didn't need their unbelief, but they sent for him. I think they believed something was going to happen. Would you, would you imitate me as I imitate Christ? Who said that? Paul. Paul said that. But we're all to be imitators of Go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is the record of when the uh, synagogue ruler's daughter was healed. If we go to verse 35 of chapter 5, this is Mark's gospel, chapter 5, verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Only believe. You know, every time I've been in the presence of someone who is uh, going to be leaving us, going to be ascending, especially in the believers, whether it was your dad, Joe, or even Vilma just the other day, I, I stress to them, it's all true. It's absolutely 100% true. Do you believe? Do you believe this? Because it is true. And that's what he's saying here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We have nothing to fear in this life. Absolutely nothing. Just believe. Just believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And then he came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw the tumult and those who were wept and wailed loudly. And he came in and he said to them, Why make this commotion and this weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. Well, from a biblical context, uh, from a biblical understanding, that's what... The, how does the Bible refer to the death of believers? Sleeping. Sleeping. The older I get, the more I enjoy sleep because it escapes me too often, right? <laughs> Is that not true? When I was a young man, I could sleep 10 hours a night easily. The other night, I slept two hours. Went to bed at 5 in the morning, got up at 7. Put in a full day. It just happens as you get older. Is that true? Amen? How about all you older folks can agree? Yeah, it does. It just, so when you get a good night's rest, man, you just cherish that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, here... Jesus refers to death. The Bible refers, God refers to the death as sleeping. Here he said, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. Verse 40, and they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, oh, just like Jesus. What did Peter do? Put them all outside. Put them all outside. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and he entered the child where the child was lying. Verse 41. And then he took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Talathakumi which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were all overcome with great amazement out of their minds with joy. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. 
and that they should give her something to eat. Yeah, Jesus was a foodie too, you know. <laughs> Peter is simply imitating his Lord. And what he saw Jesus do, why would Peter be doing this? Because Peter recognizes Peter's not healing anybody. Who's doing the healing? Jesus. And Peter is simply the agent through which Jesus is working right now. Listen, folks, that's what it, listen, that's what it means to be a Christian. You're simply the agent through which Christ is working. If I'm to love Gail, I have to love her with Christ's love. Christ has to love her through me. My love is not sufficient. Ask her. <laughs> Don't ask her. <laughs> She's too honest. <laughs> There's no guile in that girl. Peter recognized that if this, if this Tabitha, if this servant, if this disciple, if this wonderful Proverbs 31 woman is going to be healed, it would have to be by the power of Jesus. And Jesus gave him the understanding that he wanted to raise this woman from the dead. They implored him. What was that word? Paracleto. Who are they really imploring? The Paracletus. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit. You see? Look at the text. But Peter put them all out. He knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, kume. Same words. Talitha kume, Tabitha kume. Little girl, arise. Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then, then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. Why did he wait till then? He was still trying to be a good kosher boy, right? He didn't want to touch a dead body. If he touched a dead body, what would that mean? He was ceremonially unclean, unclean. It was still, there was still a lot of things that Jesus had to remove from Peter's life. There's a little bit of traditional baggage that had to be lifted, right? But after she was raised from the dead, then he touches her hand and lifted her up. And when he called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord, so that it was he, so there he stayed there many days in Joppa with Simon and Tanner. God's even working a greater miracle in Peter's heart. But I want to talk about good works for a moment because this woman, it tells us in verse 9, was in verse 36, I mean, was full of good works. Good works save you? No, not at all. But Acts 26.20 says we're to display the works befitting repentance. In, in, the, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the believers there, they don't ask you when you were born again. They ask you, when did you make and oh, by the way, are there works manifesting your repentance, befitting your repentance? If you've really repented, if you've really changed your thinking, changed your life, turned to Christ, want to imitate him in all of your life, tell me about your good works. Now, when, when uh, it's questionable about someone's salvation, and I'm counseling with them or talking with them, we don't offer counseling. We offer scriptural interpretation. I would ask the person, um, tell me the fruits of repentance. Tell me what works you have done in the power of the Holy Spirit to display your conversion, your repentance. What fruit is there? 
if you're this tree of life that God has planted, the word, of, the word of God, the seed gets planted into that ground, the soil of your heart, and then what springs forth is a tree of love. That tree produces the fruit of the spirit, which is love. And then I would say, you know, and, and or I'd ask those people who are closest to that individual, please describe to me some of the fruits of the spirit that are evident in this person's life. And it's happened more often than once. There have been an absence of fruit. And all I can conclude from that is what? No repentance, no salvation. And then I try to bring them to the cross. But then they're immediately offended because they went forward in a Billy Graham crusade. Or they were in a church service and somebody called them to go forward. And with everybody's head bowed and all eyes closed, they raised their hand. You know, is that going to save you? How many of you are ex-Catholics? Wow. In the Catholic Church, you have to obey the sacraments of the church in order to have any hope of salvation. It's a sacramental belief. Now, those sacraments are salvific. Those sacraments are necessary for salvation. Is that true? No, no. But in evangelicalism, we've erected one big sacrament, one sacrament that, that removes all those other sacraments. You know, at one point, there was as many as 30 sacraments that the church said you had to obey in, in Catholicism. I was an ex-Catholic. But we've replaced all of those with one big sacrament. What is that? The altar call. The altar call. And we, we have falsely allowed people to believe that simply because you went forward in an altar call, you're saved. Nothing could be farther from the truth. 3%, Billy Graham's own statistics, the greatest evangelist of our modern time, uh, 3 out of 100 when they come forward in a crusade, 3 out of 100 when they do all of the follow-up work, 6 months, a year, 18 months, 24 months later, find out whether there's any lasting fruit. Of the 100 that come forward, 3 have lasting fruit. The fruit determines salvation. Works doesn't save you, but if you're saved, you perform good works. And that's what he said in Acts 20, 20, uh, 26, 20. He says you've got to have the works befitting your repentance. Ephesians 2.10. Turn there quickly. And there's so many scriptures that you could go to when, when, when the New Testament writers are talking about the good works that should display or manifest our salvation. But if look at uh, 2.10, or go to 2.8 and 9 first. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, but a gift from God, not from you, not of you, but a gift from God, not of works, not of you. You understand that? At least anyone should boast, for we are his... Ah, what's that word? What does it mean? Masterpiece, a poema. A poema is a masterpiece. Whether it's a painting, a poem, a song, a sculpture, you, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Oh, hey, after service, I want to review any, every one of you, and I want to know the list of good works you're doing, the full of good works. No, it's not up to me to worry about. It's up to the Holy Spirit. Listen, Wednesday is what? Ash Wednesday. How about we make an adjustment? How about we purpose to have far more good works in the future than we've ever had behind us? Can we not make the last days with Jesus far better than any we've had previously? Can we not be men and women full of good works? Good works. 
That's what he said. Look at the look at the text, verse ten. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you're walking with the Lord, you're walking in harmony with his will. He said, the, man, the son of man did not come to be, but to, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus laid down his life for everyone he loved and loves. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. The son of man doesn't even have a bed to lie in. But I want to give everything to you, he said. Wow. And, and we don't have time, so don't turn there, but in 1 Timothy 2.10, it says we're to be possessing godliness and good works. In chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, Paul writes that, that the true widows should display good works and then the church should be continuing to support them. In 525 he says that good works clearly are evident for those who believe. In 618 he said we should be rich in good works. In 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 he said we the word of God, right? What the, 2 Timothy 3:16. what does it say about the word of God? In, given by inspiration of God Profitable. Well, before that, it's to, listen, it's to tell you what's right, it's to tell you what's wrong, it's to tell you how to get right, it's to tell you how to stay right. Why? So that everyone, every man, every woman is equipped for every good work. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Is there any contradiction between what Paul teaches and what James says in James chapter 2? No, let's go to James. We'll end here. Go to James chapter 2. You're not there yet? Oh, you mean in the study? Yeah, okay. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Do you have a heading in your Bible? I'm sorry? Yes, true faith is evidenced by works. Anybody else? Faith without works is dead. Say that again, Ed, nice and loud. Do you believe that? Yes. It means if you don't have works as a result of your salvation, you don't have faith. Your faith is dead. It's all lip and no life. It's all talk and no walk. It's all doctrine, no duty. Do you understand? Now look at chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if one says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Can faith save him? He's going to answer the question. Can faith save him? No, because faith is always followed by works, by a surrender to Jesus and all that he desires. Can faith save him? No, if a brother or sister is naked, destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace, but be warmed and filled... Do you not give them the things which are needed for the body? What pro does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show, me my, show you my faith by my works. My justification is demonstrated by my sanctification. And my sanctification is the good works that God is doing through me through the person of the Holy Spirit as my life is being transformed and changed. Paul would never be the same. Paul was so full of himself before chapter 9, right? 
He really thought he was going to be somebody. He was going to be a powerful person. He was going to be wealthy, powerful, influencer. God showed him, Paul, you're nothing. Saul, you are Paul. Big man, you are little. I'm going to show you you're nothing, but I can take a nothing and make it something. And Paul spent the rest of his life after that Damascus Road experiencing serving everybody else. Suffering tremendously for Christ. Hmm? Look at the text. Someone will say, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith by your works. I will show, me my, show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe who Jesus is, don't they? Yeah, they don't worship him. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that the man is justified by works, not by faith only. Likewise, also, not Rahab, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body, listen to me, as the body, as the body without the spirit is dead. Jesus was talking to his disciples, watching all these people, all these religionists, they all had religion, go into the temple, and he said, they are dead while they yet live. Dead. Why? Spiritually. Necros. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is? Are you sure? I don't think you believe that. Hmm. Okay. I say to you, don't tell me. Ah, there you go. Don't tell me. Show me. Now, everybody loves their own. Even the heathen does that. Even the wicked. Even the tax collectors and sinners do that. Everybody loves their own. But how are you giving yourself away? How are you exhausting your life, your resources, your talents for him? And in doing it for him, you do it for the body of him. It's called the body of? Yes, yes. What does it say? Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Why was Tabitha risen from the dead? Because her life was filled with good works, which manifest or validated, affirmed her salvation. I, I, I can't encourage you enough to have such overwhelming evidence of your good works. And I'm not talking about to those you love. It's easy. Outside of that, to the body of Christ, I would pray that there is overwhelming evidence of your full of good works that you have every confidence of knowing that on resurrection day, you're going to be resurrected. On the day of the rapture, you won't even be concerned about the day after. There's a reason for far too many who profess his name but don't possess his spirit to be very concerned about the day after the day after the rapture. I have every confidence. 
I have every assurance that the Holy Spirit has given me that when he comes, he's coming for his own. He's coming for me. I asked the question, what about you? For many, now listen, this is perfect love. Is Jesus perfect love? Is there any love outside of Jesus? Is Jesus not perfect love? One more minute. Perfect love stated in that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we? He said, you did it for the wrong reasons and the wrong motivations. You did it for your own self-engrandizement. You didn't do it for me. Depart from me, I never knew you. We never had an intimacy of love. You never ministered unto my body. You never gave your life for mine. I've given my life for you. Now I ask that you give your life in return for me. Now, I don't want to leave here and have any one of you sitting in a sanctuary the following Sunday. That's my prayer. That the day after the rapture, they won't find any one of you. And how will you know that to be true? Because you're men and women who are full, like Dorcas, like Tabitha, full of what? Good works. You've given your talents, you've given your all to be used of Jesus for the edification of his body, not your own self-edification. Wednesday, no, don't wait till Wednesday. Do it today. Do it right now. Start to make the adjustments you need to make to begin to really serve Christ and stop serving yourself. Because who's going to suffer for that? Me? Who's going to suffer for that? You will. I don't want to see that. I don't want to know that's happened. Well, I won't know that's happened when I'm taken, right? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I'm giving you as my brothers and sisters this beloved body. I'm giving you an admonition. Please, time is running out. Examine yourself. Go home and make a list. Just between you and the Holy Spirit, make a list of your good works. Tell me what, tell yourself what they are. And if your conscience is convicting you, then change your ways. Do not let your conscience to be seared or to be numbed. Worst of all, don't let it be defiled. Amen? Amen. Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.